0: Welcome to another episode of Movies in the Black, where we try to discover better ways to make a living as an artist. This episode's special because it's going to have an artist that's not a filmmaker, but I think there's still a lot we can learn. Alyssa Roberto is a currently an artist-in-residence in the Odyssey Clay Works in Asheville, North Carolina. I met her as a artist-in-residence at BCAT, Broadway Center for Arts and Technology. The reason she's on this show is because she's doing pretty well with her ceramics, but also she has an amazing presence on social media. She does really well with Instagram and I thought that we could learn quite a bit from her. So let's welcome Allie to the show. So Thanks for joining us, Alyssa. Can you give me, or us, just a little bit of an overview of who you are, what you do, that kind of stuff?
1: Well, I am Alyssa Roberto, and I'm a ceramic artist who is from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And one of my things that I always like to bring up initially is that I'm a self-taught artist, so I actually went to school for history and philosophy and took a little turn there afterwards. So I took I took pottery in high school, took a little bit in college and was totally obsessed with it. Didn't realize that it was a practical career path right away until after college. And then I sort of took it in that direction. Since then I've been just, you know, practicing my skills and getting more opportunities and sort of working into the the industry.
0: I didn't know that. I think that's pretty fascinating that you didn't go to school for, for it because you're one of the more I mean, you're one of the more successful potters that I know. I'm sure you know much more successful potters than you, but uh, not being in that uh, that field, I do know a lot of people that are interested in it, or even through the art gallery, people that are professional potters. And you, you at, at very least, you do a really good job of promoting yourself. But also, you've definitely—I mean, just the fact that you've had—you said two residencies now. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's still better than a lot of people are doing and to not have gone to school for it i think is kind of an interesting thing cuz i see that a lot in the film industry too it's like people that didn't go to film school end up somehow being more successful than the kids that do go to film school some of the best writers i've met were like history majors or english majors how did you get into pottery
1: yeah i i was doing it for fun just in school kind of like i said before it was my last semester of college and I had an elective, so I took a pottery class, and I was like, oh, cool, yeah, I did that in high school, that was fun, and at that point, I was kind of having simultaneously an existential crisis where I realized that I didn't want to do history or philosophy and didn't know what I was going to do, and I was actually dabbling, believe it or not, in film and photography and things like that, Um, so not totally irrelevant, but um, so I was sort of pursuing that after school, but... For fun, I had just moved back to Pittsburgh, and I didn't know anybody because I went to school in North Carolina. And I was trying to find ways to just, like, pick up some hobbies and, you know, get to meet people in my community. So I decided to get involved with the ceramic studio. And eventually, like, as I was working on indie films and things like that, I realized that I actually wanted more than anything to just be in the studio all day. So it just sort of snowballed from there where, you know, I I backed away from the film stuff and started going into pottery full-time to the point where I realized that if I really wanted to get serious about this, I had to drop a full-time job and start working part-time so I can really dedicate my attention and energy into ceramics. Because if I didn't do that, then, I mean, since I am self-taught, like I have to spend that time now kind of catching up with everybody else and taking it seriously and starting to build my, my foundation and my craft
2: what was that transition like going from, I mean, so you make up your mind that that's what you need to do. You need to go part-time working so that you can work more full-time at your craft. Was that an, I'm sure, I'm sure that's not an easy transition, but can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's definitely a sacrifice um, because, well, I had what I call the big, the big girl job at first. I was working (laughs) in marketing (laughs) and, um, so I had this full-time job, and it was paying pretty well, and I could have gone from there. And um, I went from that to – now, I worked in restaurants all through college and, and even in high school. And so I went from that to, you know, dropping the marketing job and getting back into working in a restaurant again, which, you know, if you want to work in a restaurant, then, you know, it's great. There's nothing wrong with working in a restaurant, but whenever it's, whenever it's a placeholder for you to make money while you're trying to achieve what you really want to be doing – it can be kind of a downer to find yourself that, like, it to me it was a symbol that I'm not able to actually make money doing what I really, really want to be doing, um, but it was a necessary right. sacrifice to be able to sustain myself and pay the bills while I work out the kinks of, like, okay, I want to enter this industry that I pretty much know nothing about except that I like pottery. How am I going to do that? So really, I mean, to answer your question, it was just... So it's a lot of being broke and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a waitress takes a lot of energy out of you. So it was, yeah. although I had more time on paper, I was still really exhausted in trying to balance it all. And I realized that working in a pottery co-op, which is where I started out, was in um, in Pittsburgh in a pottery co-op called The Union Project. I realized that it wasn't actually sustainable to do that for too long. Like eventually I would have to figure out how to get paid doing what I'm doing or none of this makes any sense. But that was the initial step and I think it worked out pretty well.
2: Yeah. And then, so as far as getting paid to do what you're doing, is that, does that mostly come from the education side of it? I know you teach a lot of classes as part of the residencies that you do, or at least the one in BCAT.
1: It's a little bit of everything. So it's the education side of it. And BCAT, um, Rockway Center for Arts and Tech that was a little different um, because they covered a lot of my expenses and so that was like a new way for me to sort of balance out like I didn't have to worry about working in like the restaurant job because everything was just kind of covered for me while I continued to like grow as an artist but right now it's mostly a combination of working like teaching classes selling my own work and then the key factor that's getting me out of the restaurant industry is by finding a job that is in the art industry somehow and is somehow related and I can build marketable skills towards a career that's like related to pottery so if I can't eventually someday go full-time potter where I'm just making and selling my work then I have relevant skills where I feel like I'm still working in the industry that I'm passionate about so what's I that actually have a what's the job like? now you, you,
2: oh go ahead yeah that's.
1: Yeah, sorry. I, um, I'm a, I'm in a marketing position right now, actually. I'm working two days a week, so I took that old marketing experience from my quote-unquote big girl job, and I turned that into um, working for a ceramic design studio called The Bright Angle in Asheville. So um, that's like two days a week just to kind of like help supplement my income, but that Are is you... supplementary to my residency,
2: so... Are you doing that part time or as a contractor?
1: Um, I'm doing that part time.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've, sorry, I've, I know that's I've, like I've, a
1: lot to, to iron no, out. That's, like I it's been a wild ride, so
2: Yeah, no, I mean all of us in this uh any kind of creative field and marketing is kind of that too. I mean I'm a lot in the marketing field. Uh, I do some contract work I've done full-time. I mean, my previous job that I literally just am leaving now, uh, was a full-time marketing job. Now I'm doing that same job. I'm literally not doing almost any less work, uh, but I cut it down to four hours a day. So now I'm part-time and then eventually I'll be an independent contractor. Um, cause I'm, I'm all about efficiency. I'm like, I geek out about that stuff. Like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. I don't know if you're familiar with that.
1: Um, no. Wait, that sounds do you know familiar who Tim,
2: actually. Do you know who Tim Ferriss is? No. Okay. He's like a, he's like a productivity guru type guy. Um, but the four hour work week is a book where he talks about how he went from running a company working 80 hours a week. Uh, to working four hours a week and his company exploded in growth basically because he got out of the way of his company um, and also just really doubled down on efficiency ra- and productivity rather than being busy, mm-hmm. um, which I realized after reading that that most of the work that I was doing, in, especially in my day jobs, was busy work. Uh, and I'm really excited now, moving into the new year, to be trying to do eight hours of work in four hours a day uh, and then having that extra four hours for what my projects outside of work, um, which is this podcast, another podcast that I'm doing because I'm crazy and I had to do two at once. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's like that efficiency thing is really important to me. Um, especially when you're juggling so many hats. So like you're doing that right now. You're, and how do you balance doing all of that? Or is it just kind of craziness all the time?
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> the, uh, the eternal question. Um, I,
2: and do you have mostly, a life? <laughs>
1: I do. I do actually. Um, it's kind of like whenever I moved to Asheville, it sort of hit the ground running because I like immediately had friends moving down here, cause I already new people. So whenever I moved down here, I kind of immediately fell into everything. Like I have this residency and I think, The best way to balance everything is by having a schedule and trying to your your best of your ability to budget when you'll be working on certain tasks at what time. And I know it's easier said than done, but for example, my residency at Odyssey Clayworks, I am required to work one eight-hour day every week. And it's always the same day. So Ellis Roberto works on Thursdays at Odyssey from... 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And so I just know that that's a time that I'll never be able to do anything else. And whenever I work for the bright angle and doing my marketing stuff, that's two days a week. And I do that, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays normally for a regular eight hour day. So just having those days. And then I know that if I want to take on some freelance work or if I want to take on doing a class that I'm not going to offer to schedule it for Thursday nights, I just schedule it for Sunday mornings or something like that. Um, so it really is just kind of like staying on top of, like, when you're free and not fighting off more than you can chew. Um, I think that's really important is to not say yes to absolutely everything because after a while, it you know, you got to decide, yeah. be selective and decide what's worth your time and what's not worth your time, you know. And yeah. I think whenever you, you're doing the freelance hustle, it's really hard to do that because I think people don't want to say no whenever something, you know, just in case
2: well, another especially... opportunity is
1: present itself.
2: Oh, exactly. There's that fear of constantly like, well, what if I don't make any money next month? I need to make as much as I possibly can right now. But you end up hurting. I mean, I'm learning that lesson. I've learned that lesson uh, over the last year or so. I used to be the same way. And I actually made less money from freelance by just saying yes to everything uh, than being more selective because you you create, honestly, for me, at least, uh, I create like a semi-artificial supply and demand for my time where it used to be i'm available 80 hours a week so there's plenty of slots open now it's like i'm available 20 hours a week so you're gonna have to pay a little bit more to get in there it's weird how quickly it's just that confidence of being like yeah i'm not gonna i might not say yes to your project and people are much more willing to pay you more when you when you have that attitude
1: it increases your value it's really weird um I think artificial, so you're not desperate. What did you call that?
2: What was that? Uh, Art, artificial supply and demand of my time.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I've been. That translates into pottery in a few ways because it also, you know, your work is tangibly translated into a product Why? that you create. Yeah. And so it's not just like your time. Like I can be, you know, hired for my time, like in marketing for a product to write. I, I do a lot of writing, like creative writing for copy and things like that but with the art if I'm doing a commission I'm starting to learn that I shouldn't say yes to every commission or or try to learn the traces or say oh I guess I can do it for this much you know or I can make more of them for the same price or something just because I'm afraid that they're going to say no if I don't if I you know up my demands a little bit and realizing that if I just don't waste my time with the commissions that aren't worth it I'm actually better off because I can put that energy towards something more profitable. And then at the same time, you know, people here at Odyssey are telling me that I should, they had to kind of sit me down and have a talk with me because I was pricing my work a little bit too low. I thought, I mean, I thought it was pretty close to what you find in the industry, but they said that, you know, Allie, if you actually raise your prices, people will like, you're actually more likely to sell it sometimes. Does that make sense? Like,
2: yeah, They've I know. That's a thing in the fine the art world it for sure.
1: increases the value and it raises everybody then. You know, it raises all yep. of us because then we're all able to
2: ask for that. So
1: it's kind of wild.
2: Yeah, being your own, being able to price your own work, <laughs> whether it's your time or your product, <laughs> is a really weird position to be in. And I know like everybody has trouble with it, whether it's fine artists or marketers, freelancers, filmmakers. It's a really difficult thing. I generally find, or I've been finding, that going higher is usually better because people value it more. And it also then, mm-hmm. you can sell less and work longer on each individual product or spend mm-hmm. more effort into each hour that you're spending on a project if that, if you're doing hourly. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely good advice they're giving you there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a better quality product overall.
2: So Diversification of your income I mean, it's the same as investments. When you're a freelancer or any kind of working for yourself, you are constantly investing in yourself. And it's kind of like if you're invested in the stock market, you don't want to have all your money in one company or even one vehicle. Uh, you don't want it all in stocks. You want it in right. stocks and mutual funds and bonds, it's just diversified right, just in case something happens. Yeah, so I think I mean you're kind of on to the same thing. Exactly. It's all like, your eggs
1: in one basket.
2: Yeah, you don't want to do that. Uh, I mean, which is, we're,
1: we're artists. We don't exactly get job security, so we need to create <laughs> it somehow. I, uh,
2: job security <laughs> is a myth anyway. I don't, I don't really believe that. Yeah. Like anytime you could get five, I think if you are creating your own income somehow, and especially if you have multiple streams of income, you are you have way more job security than someone working a nine to five, even if they've been working that job for Single twenty, twenty five years any second they could be fired or their company could go out of business and it's out of their control where when it's your skills that are bringing you in the money, it's in your control to a degree. Uh, And it's kind of, I'm learning that. flexible. Oh yeah. And it's fun. If you're you're working in that same job, like it's
1: boring. If you're working the same job forever, then yeah. Like you, you get really comfortable. You're not growing. That's great. You know, like if that's, you know, in a way there's something to be said about that comfort, but Then if, if, you know, the the catastrophe happens and you lose your job somehow, you know, I've seen those people try to, to, you know, get flexible again and brush up on their resume and they just don't know where to start. Oh, man, it's rough,
2: yeah. So it's like, you know, you have someone that has been working the same job for 20 years, whatever it is, even if they're in a, let's say they're in a marketing agency and they've been working the same doing print ads for 20 years and that part of the agency goes under and they lose their job. Well, they haven't been keeping right. up with most people in those positions because they're so comfortable. They don't have any drive to keep up with everything that's going on. And I've seen, I have older friends that used to be people that I looked up to, that, uh, especially in the ad agency world, have worked in ad agencies, done really cool things, um, but they don't understand social media. <laughs> they don't understand mm-hmm. the internet at all. And now it's like, doesn't matter if you can design a print ad because. You don't know how to also make those deliverables applicable to social media, which is huge to know the style and, and I'm not beyond just the formatting, the kind of what works well on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Like each one has a different deliverable, and they just can't keep up. I point people towards Skillshare, which, a little plug, I have on my website a, uh, a free month of Skillshare, and then I get a little bit of commission money off of that, so... If you're listening mm-hmm. and you want to check that out, do that. But I've learned so much stuff off of that site. And if you're kind of getting back into the workplace, it's a great way to learn about marketing yourself on Instagram. There's a couple really good courses Love on there that. about that. But also in general, like soul making, any kind of digital digital marketing or digital skill can be you can learn that all online if you have the ambition. But if you've been right. comfortable for 20 years, you're not going to have that ambition. So, so speaking of social media. <laughs> You have a really dope Instagram. I really, I like looking at, I know I asked you the one day on, I think it was Facebook, about kind of just like your social media advice because it's interesting to know that you have a background in marketing. Was part of that background in social media or was it not really at all?
1: Uh, Well, I was on the, the digital media marketing team for the company that I worked for. And honestly, what you were saying before about people who are really comfortable in their jobs and they haven't really stayed up to date with the industry, that actually describes my marketing experience up until recently. So everything that I've done with Instagram has been also self-taught, just like the ceramic art. Really just kind of a matter of looking at other artists and the way they present themselves online and thinking about how that could fit into my own work and how I can use that to engage with an audience. Because that's really what social media marketing is these days. That's what marketing is in general is it, it's not that you're just putting an ad in front of somebody and helping that they read it. I mean, that's still part of it, but it's about actually, you can actually for the first time have a conversation it's one-on-one with the people who are interested in you. Yeah. And that's, that's
2: why it's called social media. That's something
1: I mean, you should, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: you should embrace that. Yeah.
1: Right. So it's sort of been, Instagram just kind of started out as me, sharing my pots online. And actually, if you go far enough back in my, in my Instagram feed, it just it becomes a personal account. And I never really bothered to change that because I'm honestly kind of attached to the, to the account, but um, just slowly realized that I, that's just where I want to share my, my artwork and everything that I have available. So from there, I just got into, you know, from there I got into getting a DSLR and just taking like, better photos of my work and trying to find ways that I can, represent it as well as possible because it's free marketing it's a great resource for artists and now the way that it's connected with instagram i mean i'm sorry with facebook and everything you can even um, connect it to your etsy shop and connect it to all of your other channels and everything it is really easy to send somebody from you know liking a picture on your instagram to actually seeing your etsy page and know actually buying the product so it's free marketing it's a free resource that is constantly changing and it's i mean how could you not take advantage of that
2: yeah i think i I see there's a lot of people that want to take advantage of it but have no idea i mean myself like i'm still it's like i know the best practices but then to like Mm -hmm. actually follow through with making like a consistent like my thing is like consistency is like my hugest struggle which is where i'm at now with these podcasts trying to do one a week kind of a challenge for myself to be like, okay, you can do something once a week, like, and this is a longer piece of content. So maybe for me, it's just not trying to do those tiny pieces of content and just trying to stick to long form content, uh, but being consistent with that in its own way. Um, I think it's interesting itself. Oh yeah. But it's worth it. It pays dividends for sure. Whether it's in, for me, like long form, long form content and short form content too You're building a relationship with people. And then I've found I've switched up my career so many times over the last decade. I went from being uh, just a filmmaker to a filmmaker and a social media marketer to just marketing to a painter. And now I'm kind of doing all of the above and people will follow, people will follow me um, from one thing to the next because I've built that relationship and they're genuine relationships. There's a lot of people probably a few hundred people that follow me everywhere I go online. And it's awesome because I actually feel like I know these people. If I, I've i met some of them in person now doing traveling a lot, but a lot of them I've never met in person and probably never will. But you build up that genuine relationship. Um, and then that's how you sell stuff too. I mean, they appreciate and like your work. Um, and maybe they don't like this series of pots that you do. <laughs> uh, I I'm really impressed with the way that you have, done your do you do are are all your instagram posts self portraits or like self shot or do you have people help you with that like friends
1: i do it all myself yeah so it's all like on a tripod yeah so if you see a picture of me holding a pot it's actually really it's a really dorky process where i'm in my bedroom like (laughs) a preteen on myspace just like holding a a mug and trying to like you luckily and i'm I could not have thought of this ahead of time. Whenever I bought my camera, but whenever I bought my DSLR, I got. I have a Canon Rebel T3I, and it has a swivel um, screen, so I can actually oh, swivel yeah. my screen out and see myself, so I can take all of the selfies. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's
2: really great. <laughs> that, for that that's seriously such an awesome thing because I remember doing self videos with my uh, Nikon D5000. Uh, back when I was first mm-hmm. getting into videos and it did not have one of those swivel screens or I think it did but it didn't swivel around so you could see it from the front. It was like, it was like, what's the point nice. of this? <laughs> and I just like trying to, I put a, I put a broom where I was going to stand so I could focus because it didn't have autofocus either in video. So I had to like <laughs> put a broom or something where I was going to stand and then like try to focus on that and then try to stand exactly where that broom was. It was like this whole, it was the whole process just to make right. like the most simple videos.
1: I'm still in the broom phase actually a little bit because I have the swivel thing, but I like to just my shooting style. I prefer to have my camera set further away from the subject. And then I zoom in because I feel like I get better information that way. And like the perspective on my pieces are better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't have a remote or anything. I want to get a remote that I can like half press down so I can autofocus and then click, which I don't have. So I do a timer and I'll get, luckily all my roommates are in bands. So they have a bunch of mic stands lying around the house. And I take a mic stand
0: and Uh, I put it where I'm going to
1: stand. And that leaves an indent in the carpet. And then I run over and I stand in that (laughs) spot. And then I hope that I'm standing in the right spot. And I have a lot of out of focus pictures of me holding pots, Um, (laughs) but they come out all right.
2: Yeah, I mean at the end you I mean you don't see any of that struggle behind it. Your your page, your feed looks super super professional. Uh you're definitely like you're on par with if someone had like a product photographer working for them, which maybe that's another uh uh freelance gig you can do is product photography.
1: Yeah, it's something that I've definitely been getting into cuz I think I touched on this before, but whenever I was in between wanting to do history that my major was in and doing pottery I was thinking about someone's photography which is when I bought that camera yeah. and I feel like a lot of people go through that phase like the amateur photographer like I don't want to be a photographer and then they go oh, they buy an expensive camera and they take like crappy pictures of trees and then they drop the hobby and um but that was me I definitely and,
2: did
1: that yeah <laughs> yeah and sometimes we actually turn into real photographers and then sometimes you know we just have these expensive cameras and so I'm really glad that it actually paid off this hobby phase because I, whenever I said that I switched to taking all of my Instagram photos with a DSLR, it made a huge difference. And I had it lying in my closet. And I'm thinking, why am I not using this? This is going to create such better content and I, I don't have to spend any more money on it. It's all here. I have Photoshop. Yeah. I love, I'm like a, it does take a, it's a, a little bit more of a, shop.
2: yeah, it's a little bit more of a commitment. I know like, I have mm-hmm. my DSLR in the back of my car right now. I was planning on taking all these photos for Instagram with it on my journey. Uh and it's just been like mm-hmm. so it's been much more hectic uh this month to travel than I I mean I knew it was going to be hectic, but it's much more hectic than I thought it was going to be. And uh so it's been sitting in the back of my car this whole time. I haven't used it once and I I yeah. think I've kind of given up on <laughs> doing that, but
1: it, um it is the a whole commitment. Process, it definitely is. Yeah, it changes it changed my process from I'll have a picture on my phone, and then I select that in my Instagram app, and then I post it, you know, I maybe do a little bit of light editing, to I have a tripod, I have the mic stand, I have myself, I you know, do I like the outfit I'm wearing, does it match my aesthetic, do I have the right natural lighting, and then I play with the camera, and I get, like, 20 pictures, and then I go and I bring it to my laptop and I put it on my computer, and you know, the whole thing, edit it, put it up there, and yeah, but that, so now I have, I have think a huge that, folder on Google what, Drive, and
2: yeah, I have all that, that, that content that's what creates the, I mean, it forces you to have a thoughtful aesthetic where like when you're snapping stuff with your phone, it's so easy to be like, ah, close enough, you know, and just put it up. Right. It forces me to be
1: selective and it was a transition. And again, you could probably just go back on my Instagram and see where I really started to pick things up because I had a moment where I had a nice aesthetic and I was still using my phone and then I kind of lost focus and I just, I really wanted to post that picture of a of a cool sandwich that I ate. Like, I really wanted to post it. And so I posted it. That's what the stories are my for. Entire... <laughs> right. That's what the stories are for. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's what I've learned. That's I'm like, okay.
1: are for. I got an yeah. Instagram so I could post my stupid sandwich um, and people can see it and I could be a narcissist without affecting my, my feed. So... Um, that's what yeah. I did and it works really well but it really is like there's a bit of a transitional period there where you have to kind of have a moment with yourself and say okay this is what you're going to post you're not allowed to post this like you need to look at what you took even if even now like if I take something that I thought was going to be a great photo and I spent 30 minutes shooting the same piece like in several different angles and I realize that all of it just isn't going to fit and then I just don't I don't post it then and that's okay but I think in the end it gives – it because the whole point of having a good feed, it's not just for, like, hashtag aesthetic. It's about showing what your product means. It's telling your story. And if you're not consistent with that on your feed, then people aren't really going to be able to understand what you're about as, easy, yeah. as you might. So I think that's why it's important.
2: You kind of have to understand what you're about first to do that. I'm still right. in that phase of – I do so many different things and they all have different, I think what I'm doing now is trying to put it all, I'm trying to reframe everything and put it all under one umbrella, uh, so that I can yeah. have a consistent brand, whether it's travel stuff or the filmmaking stuff or the painting stuff. If it all kind of, mm-hmm. I kind of accidentally fell into this like black and white, uh, branding, which like that, I just need to make that work for me. Uh, I'm going to sell all my clothes and only wear black and white, <laughs> uh, <which is laughs> totally minimalist of me. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely being very thoughtful about your your own personal brand. Whether you're, I mean, it, whether you're an artist like you are, or like a uh, making physical products, or if you are a freelancer, a photographer, a filmmaker, a producer, uh, a director, whatever like that, all of that is your portfolio. People are going to check out that stuff before anything else. And honestly, I hate to say oh, yeah. it because I design websites, uh, like. It's important to have a website, but your Instagram is your first first portfolio. Way like pe- mm-hmm. so many more people are gonna see that than are going to see your website. Uh same thing Absolutely. with Facebook. Absolutely. Instagram just happens to make a really pretty portfolio if you put the work into it.
1: Right. And that's exactly it. I know a lot of artists who they have beautiful work, they have beautiful portfolios, but they're not presenting themselves on Instagram and they don't see the point. And that's fine, but if that's the case, then maybe they just don't have an Instagram at all because people—if that's the first thing they're going to see—then they might. People lose interest so quickly these days. So you kind of need to get their attention right away. So, I mean, that's that. You, you kind of made me think like that tool can actually kind of make or break you in a way. Like if you don't present it well, then yeah, they're not I going think a lot to of, see that. They're not going to see what's what's actually good about your work.
2: Absolutely, I. I so many artists. I see it in the directors a lot. I have a friend, Alex DeMarco and he has this brand called hustle cake. He has a separate brand for his music videos. So he can post his personal stuff on his personal stuff. And then he has this brand hustle cake. That's all about music videos. Uh, and it's got a very, it's got mm-hmm. like a bright pink and white brand. Like it's just so well branded um, that if you look at his, that Instagram comes up. I mean, it's very clear that they're very high quality, high caliber, music videos that all kind of have a similar aesthetic. They're all different and unique, but they all have a similar aesthetic. And it's like so Then there as a director who's not making a physical product, but he's making, you know, branding decisions constantly with that kind of thing. Uh, I, I think a lot of filmmakers like to think, well, that only really applies to artists that are making physical work, uh, but it's not true. It definitely, it's your personal brand and everything is visual now. So you have to keep that in mind. And I'm speaking to myself with this too because I'm not great at it. But
1: and I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into Instagram, and the more that I am working on it, the more I'm learning that I need to be doing with it. And <laughs> you know, it started. It's kind of it's kind of infuriating. But um, because you, you start out like I was saying before, you you start out by taking a picture and then you post it. All right, cool. And then it's about consistency and making sure you can post once a day where people are going to remember that you're there. Maybe maybe skip a day here and there, but you really should be posting about once a day. And that keeps everything fresh, keep people engaged, keep everything active. Um, then you want to make sure that the content's good. And then from there, recently I've been thinking of like how I do giveaways or what time am I posting? Like the time that I post can affect who sees it because there's that, you know, that sneaky little algorithm that, just is kind of the gatekeeper to all of this and it's really infuriating that sometimes I post something and no one sees it just because I posted it at six o'clock and not five o'clock. Um, that's something to think about and it depends on your audience and, you know, who's actually watching. Are are people who are looking at your content, are they are they around at five PM? Are they the people who stay up super late at night or are they in a different country or a different time zone?
2: So there's so much to think about with it.
1: It's never ending. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, you really can. I do a lot of like data analytics uh, as part of my marketing and advising work. And part of the job is deciding at what point you've gone too far into the data, uh, Mm -hmm. that you're just driving yourself crazy. Because data always tells a story. And at a certain point, data, you can't see the forest for the Trees, or you're seeing all the trees and you can't see the forest. Oh, right. I guess that would be this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but as you kind of check off, okay, I've I've gotten the consistency thing down, or I've got the aesthetic thing down. Okay, now I'm gonna like try to get the time of the posts down, and then I'm gonna try to get like, you know, hashtags down or whatever it is. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: not trying to take it on all at once is probably important because you drive yourself right. crazy just kind of being like, you know, doing it until you get one thing down and then kind of making those improvements as you go. Over time, that consistent growth and consistent effort is going to build on itself. Mm -hmm. And then five years down the line, people are going to be like, oh, wow, like, it's just an overnight success. It's amazing. You're going to be like, yeah, I've been working on this for a decade.
1: Yeah, and it's there's something that I am noticing with – My ceramic art and my sales in correlation with Instagram is, to an extent, whenever I'm doing well on Instagram, I'll make better sales online. But in reality, my best sales are in person at these stores. And I would do sales like, you know, holiday markets and things like that in Pittsburgh where people would approach my table and say, oh, my gosh, I love your work. I bought this last year. I came back specifically so I could see you. Or someone told me to come to this market so I could come and buy your work. And I would do really well at those. And then everything would be radio silent all year long online. Like people don't buy from me as much online. But at the same time, I'm getting really good feedback on Instagram. And so in marketing, they call that conversion where, you know, how do you get people who come to your website or to your 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 page or your blog or your Instagram or whatever, how do you get them to convert where they would be then buying your product? Well, and I mean, it so, also might
2: just be a that, matter of yeah. branding. You know, like a lot of people get mm-hmm. really obsessed with conversion rates because digital marketing allows us to track that so clearly. Um, right. But like, think how much Nike or Adidas or whatever, you know, how much time and money and effort they spend and spent on just branding themselves and not really trying to track sales directly with that um, because someone might be following you on Instagram right now and not mm-hmm. live in Asheville and not, or not live anywhere where you're going to do a show. But like three years from now they move to Asheville and they become one of your biggest buyers because they're like obsessed with your work because they've been following you for so long. That kind of stuff. I find that stuff happens all the time with my stuff. Like people that end up going back and like binging all of my content after and buying the stuff that I made that's paid stuff, uh, after finding mm-hmm. me and maybe they've been following me online for a while and then they meet me in person. And that just, that changes the things. But yeah, branding is a weird thing cause you can't really track it. A lot of us deal with the problem of not being able to, it, no art is easily trackable, uh, for online sales cause that's just not where most people make most of their sales. Even a filmmaker, if you like, we don't get data on who streams our stuff on Amazon so, like, I have no idea who all, like who the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have watched Blood and the Leaves on Amazon, it's awesome that they have, and I'm sure some of it has come from our marketing efforts, but we have no way to tell, um, and that's right. infuriating. But at the end of the day, it's like, whatever. Like, we just got to keep putting as much good stuff out there and hope that it it pans out in the long run.
1: Right. No, you're absolutely right.
2: <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me on this call, Alyssa. If people want to find your dope Instagram uh, and anywhere else that you want them to check out your stuff, where can they do that?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And my Instagram is Ali Ruby. It's A L I R U um, B Y. That would be a really great place to start. Um, but I also am on Etsy as Ally Ruby Ceramics, so that would be a great place to find my shop. But everything's linked in the Instagram too, so that would be a good place to go.
2: Cool, cool. Is there anything um, that you want to leave people with, or
1: just keep on with that hustle like it can get pretty exhausting sometimes but remember that you're doing this because you would definitely rather not be doing anything else so you're gonna you're gonna figure out how to make it work um that's how I feel every day that's been like my mantra so
2: yeah just keep going I have a I have a thing that I consistently kind of um, I'm turning I think I'm gonna turn it into a t-shirt or something I don't know uh it's my wallpaper on my computer or on my phone it's move the needle every day move the needle and the needle. eventually you'll see the the results all right yeah. thank you very much
0: you have a great day yeah
1: thank you
0: too. thank you for listening to another episode of movies in the black i think that episode was really interesting i got a lot of value out of that conversation and i hope you did too i'm working on doing more in-person interviews i'm on the road right now and that makes it a little hard so that's why you're getting some of these phone interviews and i know the quality is not perfect the way that i like to think about it is Pretend you're sitting in your car listening to a phone call with a really cool person. So it's really about the content and I try to bring as much content to these episodes as possible, but I understand why audio quality is important and I will be working on trying to improve that as time goes on. So don't be afraid to leave your feedback wherever you're listening. I really enjoy it. Uh, Wherever you are, wherever you are. Uh, I just want to hear from you. I like making this more of a conversation and I enjoy some of the feedback I've gotten so far. If you don't want to publicly make a comment, you can always go to moviesintheblack.com. You can find my email there and shoot me an email. So thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.